Hey there, you're listening to What the Riff? Join us as we remember the great rock and roll hits from a month between 1965 and 1995. We're going to riff on all things about the bands, the members, and the goings-on during that time. We hope to inspire you to find and download the songs you hear today, whether you're fans who forgot about some of these tracks or maybe never even heard them before. Check out our blog at whattheriff.com or follow us on Facebook at What the Riff. Here's a shout-out to our sponsors, Right Column Financial, offering CFO and bookkeeping services for small business, Stanton Electric, a commercial electrical specialist, and Marbury Creative Group, a brand development agency that helps companies tell it better. So let's turn up the volume and enjoy this episode of What the Riff? 68 people are killed and 200 wounded after a mortar bomb is set off in Sarajevo. The 17th Winter Olympic Games open in Lillehammer, Norway, and the scream by Norwegian painter Edvard Munch is stolen in Oslo. This is February 1994, and we're What the Riff. I'm Bruce. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. And I'm Brian. And Wayne, what do you have for us today? Power punk, power pop punk, power punk rock, neon hair, nose rings, tattoos, piercings. Guys, I bring you one of the top punk rock albums ever, Dookie by Green Day. All right. I wonder what they're referring to. Uh, well, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, definitely came from what you're thinking it did. But they called it when you actually had a problem with your gut and it came out liquefied. But they wanted to call it liquid Dookie, but they said no. <laughs> too much. That's too far. Dookie is fine. But Green Day is a three-piece band. Uh, Frontman and the main person who writes most of the songs and guitarist Billy Joe Armstrong. You obviously recognize him. Bassist Mike Dirnt and drummer Trey Cool. I used to always get him confused with Billy Joel. (laughs) (laughs) This is the third album by by Green Day, but it's the first one on a major label. So uh, Green Day was kind of a really hard rock, hard punk rock group. And this album, everybody considered being a sellout because they were not being pure punk. I mean, this is kind of, I mean, this is punky, it's, but it does have a pop It's produced. Exactly. I'm amazed at the staying power of Green Day. Me I mean, too. they shot to the top and they stayed there. Their songs are well written. A lot of it, Billy Joe wrote most of the songs and, and Autobiographical, a lot of them. Uh, this is the first song, Longview, off the album. Um, it, it, it's a song about boredom and um, lack of motivation. It's about son, somebody just sitting around the house doing nothing, uh, smoking pot, and and the dates just became no longer fun. Here you go. Yeah, no one's I calling. I sit around and watch the tube. Nothing's on. Call me pathetic. Call me what you will. According <laughs> to Billy Joe Armstrong says, it's coming from a lonely guy's perspective. No girlfriend, no life, a complete loser. Uh, the video is about a guy basically sitting in an apartment and just looking at these different shows. You know, Back then, we didn't have 500 channels. We only had 36. <laughs> on cable time, if you I think Springsteen said there's 57 channels and nothing on. Yeah. But uh, it's 
the band's also playing like over in a corner, stuck between the bathroom and a closet. And they're all playing in this one corner while Billy Joe's on watching these TVs things. And they end up just tearing up the apartment afterwards. So. Smoking cigarettes and watching yeah. Captain Kangaroo. <laughs> Don't tell me there's nothing to do. They did receive a uh, Grammy nomination uh, for Best Hard Rock Performance for this song, Longview. So. Well, how did they go from punk to hard rock? I don't I don't think that... they had a punk category in the okay. Grammys at that. I All still right. don't I don't think they ever did. And I don't think the punk scene would allow it. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of those things. If you're winning a Grammy in the punk category, you've already sold out. Oh. Now this song next is sort of a deep cup. I was going to say I didn't I didn't recognize the name. It's a fan favorite and Love the and bass. I don't even consider it really a deep cut because they did kind of release it as a as a single. I remember yeah, this. Yeah, I've heard yeah. this. It just never really got the traction of the other songs. There's there's plenty on there. I remember this on 99X. I was going to say that's mm-hmm. why because I'm, I was listening to 99X yeah. in 1994. Yeah. And Billy Joe wrote this song because his former girlfriend, who's a feminist, had a poem with the identical title. And so, in turn, he wrote the song "She" to show show to her. And of course, she ends up dumping him and moved to Ecuador. But you know, so he goes, "Well, I'm going to put this song on my album." So he did do that. Waiting for a sign to smash the silence with a brick of self-control. There was no video made of this song, so all there is uh, a like a concert footage up to it it's notorious though that billy joe will perform this in the nude while he's playing this so i guess the miami still doesn't have a problem with that or doesn't have a problem like that like they did with the with jim morrison of the doors well it was 30 years on i guess 25 years on well at the grammys we talked about that the band won the best alternative music performance for dookie and the best alternative album in 1995, so they did this. I mean, this thing blew up. It sold over 20 million copies today. And Green Day, we talk about lasting power. It sold 75 million worldwide. They're one of the best-selling artists of all time. Really? Now, this to me is the second kind of wave of punk rock. Yeah. The first is with, you know, the Ramones and the Dex Boys. Sex Pistols. Yeah, Sex Pistols. The second was like in the early 80s uh, with X, Black Flag, Circle Jerks, and the Dead Kennedys. And then this time was, you know, Rancid and Pennywise and Bad Religion and obviously Green Day. Now, this is a song that was off their second album, but they re-recorded it. And it's Welcome to Paradise. Yeah, I, I never realized they were a trio. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one yeah. of the few ones. And, yeah. And, but yeah, with punk, you can kind of get away with that, you know. I guess so. Especially if somebody else is singing. You look at, you know, like the Sex Pistols, you you know, Johnny Rotten was singing. He wasn't doing anything right. else. He was kind of parading on time. Well, this singing song, and tripping out. Well, this song is about a runaway who's living on the streets, which he now calls home. Uh, Billy Joe was talking about it because I'd moved out of my house in the suburbs in West Oakland into a warehouse that was rat infested, and it's a really messed up neighborhood with a lot of crazy punk rockers and 
friends who was paying $50 a month, which was great because you get paid a couple hundred bucks here and there doing a, doing a, um, a gig. And they can pay rent, eat Top Ramen, and buy weed. <laughs> that's all you need. It says there's not a part of this song that's not true. And initially it starts out, Dear Mother, can you hear me whining? It's been three whole weeks since I left your home. So, you know, and it's sudden fear has left me trembling. So I'm feeling so alone. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a, a kind of a closet Green Day fan. Like, I... I don't think about them. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I own any of their music, but when it's on, I listen to it, and yeah. it's, it's well done. It really is. Well, this song has a 60s vibe. Mm-hmm. But you, you listen to it, it's it's the musicianship is, is strong. Yeah. The bass line is great. The drums are driving. That guitar in the background, fantastic. You know, it's just got a really good sound. Speaking of bass, that's the big thing on this is is, is bass is coming along quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I would give Red Hot Chili Peppers sort of that, that nod yes. that started all that, that the bass kind of came to the forefront versus the, the electric guitar. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the electric guitar is more of a rhythm section. Yeah, listen to it here. So has... Any of y'all seen the decline of Western civilization? There was three documentaries. Yeah, I turned the news on this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the news today. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, it was developed by Penelope Spears, and it chronicles, you know, different eras. And the first one is about the early punk rock that we talked about, that second wave uh-huh. that came out in the early 80s. And I have not seen that one. I saw the second one. The second one is more of the heavy metal stuff from the, the late 80s. And it, it mainly focused on the bands. This last one was in 1998. And it was uh, kind of, it did some of the bands, but it really focused on homeless teenagers. And it's, it's the third of the trilogy. And it, it's almost sad. You kind of feel bad for them. Really, all those guys wanted to do was get drunk, get high, go to punk rock groups, and beg for money, I guess. And they would crash at different places. There was one guy that was getting disability, and so everybody would crash at his house or just trash his house at a party or something. It was scary. You know, it's like, oh, my goodness, I'm, I feel so bad. And, you know, hell, that's 25 years ago. You're sitting there going, what happened to these people? And unfortunately, at the end of that movie, you find out it's really a sad ending. But go out and see that the decline of Western civilization. It's on YouTube. It's number three. You can see all three of them, but definitely the third one. If you sort of want to see what that punk life rock style was. It sounds pretty cool. And bad at the same time. This has got to be one of their biggest hits. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually kind of one of their mellowest also. This is the fourth single and the biggest hit off of Dookie, When I Come Around. It would appeal to more audiences, clearly. Mm-hmm. And it did. Yeah. It sold over a half million copies as a single, which is unusual at that time because people were buying the album. At this time, you got four singles on an album, you're buying the yeah. album. You're not buying the, right. the single for 99 cents. Right. Is the best biggest single that they've ever had off this album, and it it's sort of a song about Billy Joe talking about a girlfriend that he knows, and she's pissed off at him, and she wants to break up or yell or scream whatever, but he just decides I'm gonna chill, I'm gonna stay away until this drama blows over, 
you know. So he wrote this song about her, and believe it or not, they went on to get married. Aww. You know, though, there is a downside to dating a singer-songwriter because you never know when your life is all of a sudden going to appear on stage, you know? Well, this album's called one of the landmark albums of the 1990s, and I think it's considered one of the top rock albums ever. I mean, it, it yeah, is a great strong. album. Go out and check it out. I mean, the sound is sort of dry, but they wanted a dry. It's not it's it's not layered or anything else. It does just come at you. It has that kind of kinks the who sound. Mm-hmm. I also cite uh, Cheap Trick as a big influence. I can see that. These guys played at Woodstock 94 and Lollapalooza. I guess they're still out. That bass line is very strong. It's almost a counter melody. Yeah. I mean, that's that was a good point that you brought up, Wayne, about bass kind of taking over. And, yeah, clearly. Mm-hmm. It, like you said, Chili Peppers did that, too. Well, they influenced actually some fashion. I mean, they had a striped shirt on at an award show. Next thing you know, everybody wanted to wear striped shirts, and that's where you got Where's Waldo at. (laughs) No, they didn't. I I made that one up. (laughs) Where's Green Day? (laughs) But, guys, Green Day, Dookie, great album. Go out and check it out. Get the whole thing. Yeah. Download it. Enjoy it. Great. Thanks, Wayne. Now we're moving on to our entertainment track brought to us by Right Column Financial. And, Brian, I believe you put this one. this one, which I don't do a lot of entertainment picks. But in 1994, of course, this time, there was a movie called The Three Musketeers. So this is a song that's by three superstar artists. Mm -hmm. Brian Adams, of course who couldn't do anything wrong in the late 80s and 90s. Legendary Rod Stewart. There he comes. Oh, I can hear him there. And then, of course, Sting. Who also could do no wrong in the early 90s. Can you imagine the collaboration effort that these guys did together just to, let's try this or let's do this. Mm -hmm. Just to be in the room to watch them do that in the studio. It would have to be just an incredible treat. Cool. This is a song called... All for love and not, you know, well, because one of the sayings in The Three Musketeers, all for one and one for all. And one for all. Yeah. Of course, now in this case, it's all for one and all for love. So. This was a top song at Absolutely. On February 94th. That, the movie had come out earlier. One of the top movies that came out in February 1994, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and that was when the dolphin from the Miami Dolphins was stolen and Jim Carrey had to go find him as a detective, animal detective. And Do I still not go in there. <laughs> and, and to this day, I say, all righty then. Yes. <laughs> now, we talked about the Olympics a little earlier. The CBS coverage of the women's short program of the women's figure skating at the, at the Olympics was the highest rated Olympic show ever in the United States. You guys remember why? Yes. Oh, yes. Somebody's uh, knees had been messed up, right? Nancy Kerrigan. Nancy Kerrigan had been attacked by uh, associates from Tanya Harden's camp. It's her boyfriend, wasn't it? He has a boyfriend and another guy, and they busted Jeff Galuli was the boyfriend, and then there was two other... uh, And I was surprised she was able to skate in that, but, I mean, 
And then she had her had her shoes come untie or something. It was just it was not gonna be good for that. And then she went to do some porn, didn't she? Uh, I or think no, she went I, to no. boxing, I think. Tanya Hardy. Same thing. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the, all fake. I think at the time there was a lot of suspicion that she was involved, but they hadn't proven anything. Yeah. But it was, that was it. It was the drama of that. Yeah. yeah. During the open monologue of Saturday Night Live, guest host Martin Lawrence makes a very explicit sex joke. And uh, resulted with him being banned for life from SNL and then the entire network after that for a year. Are we going to post that on our Facebook page? Uh, <laughs> I think just bleep, 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 bleep. Perhaps bleep. not. <laughs> a couple of people who died at this time. William Conrad. You guys remember him? Yeah, Bill Conrad. Yeah. He was a uh, cannon, Jake and the Fat Man, and... I always thought it was kind of funny. I mean, you could not do Jake and the Fat Man and William Conrad as the Fat Man in that in that TV show. No. <laughs> and then there's Dinah Shore. And you remember her? She was a big yeah, singer, yeah. and she had her own yep. talk show. Yep. I mean, it was. I'd, I'd say it was probably about 20 years. On, yeah. On she was uh, also dating a, or living with Burt Reynolds. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. I kind of put Dinah Shore's show with uh, Phil Donahue. Like yeah. Those kind of worked together at the same they were time. contemporaries. Yeah. Pioneers in those uh, types of shows. Merv Griffin had a, had a similar yep. show. Yep. Some other movies that came out. Uh, Eight Seconds was a, a bull-riding biographical kind of drama film with Luke Perry. My Girl 2 with Dan Aykroyd and Jimmy Lehurt. Curtis, I don't remember that one. The Getaway with Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger. Somebody should have told him he shouldn't have done that movie. <laughs> it's going to cost you a lot of money, Alec. <laughs> and a lot of heartache. All right, that was your entertainment from February 1994. We're now going to take this time to people's top hits. And who's going to be bringing us our next top hits? Oh, I look over and it's going to be Rob. Rob, what top hits? pick did you bring my staff pick is pretty groovy listen to that fuzzy guitar oh, there oh yeah we kind of have a little bit of a kind of love child here mm-hmm. now you hear the voice it's Lenny Kravitz and this is his song spinning around over you you know, I really think he's a little more hippie than hipster. <laughs> it took him a while to kind of figure out his sound, though. Uh, so, Leonard was born in New York City. And his dad was a TV producer, Cy Kravitz. And his mom was an actress, Roxy Roker. You recognize the name Roker? The Jeffersons. Al Roker? She was Al Roker's cousin. Ah, Yes, and I'm going to get to the Jeffersons in just a minute. So he was brought up in a West Indies Christian and Jewish home. And I thought this was interesting. He said he, he didn't know that his dad was white until he went to school and his friends brought it up. <laughs> he never really thought about it. That's, but as kids, you don't, you know, you just assume that however things are at your in your family is just the way that everything is. It's yeah. just, just the way things are. Well, it's, yeah. It's just, that's just the way it is. 
<laughs> Some things will never change. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> so his um, his mom got a role on the Jeffersons, to Brian's point, and they moved from uh, Manhattan to L.A. And uh, do, do you remember the couple that lived across the hall from the Jeffersons? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was Tom and Helen. Yeah. And they were an interracial couple. So Roxy uh, tried out for the audition for the part, and the producers didn't know she was in an interracial marriage at the time. And when they found out, they go, well, you need to play this role. So (laughs) she did. So Lenny Kravitz, apparently, according to his dad, was banging on pots and pans when he was three years old. When he was five, he proclaimed he wanted to be a musician. His parents got him drums gave him a guitar and and really supported him and they took him to shows his his dad was a jazz uh producer as well his dad took him to see the jackson five at madison square gardens oh, wow. wow! and that really had an influence on him when they moved to la he went to beverly hills high school and he heard this artist named prince oh wow. <laughs> and that's when he said i want to get into this rock and roll style of music and you can kind of hear Prince influence here, oh, yeah. can't you? Yeah, you can. I mean, Prince could have could have sung this song, I think. Yeah, his dad uh, was friends with Duke Ellington, Miles Davis, and Ella Fitzgerald. So oh, Lenny goodness. was exposed to them when he was growing up in in Manhattan. So he had all these influence coming into his life and affecting his music. That's funny. His one big hit. American Woman was a remake. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Uh, this This was from his third album, Are You Gonna Go My Way? And uh, this is really a deep cut on it. Best one is Are You Gonna Go My Way from yeah, this album. that's my favorite. So, Great video, anyway, too. Yeah, so I enjoyed uh, listening to that. Now we're moving on to Bruce. What do you have for us, Bruce? All right. I have this thing from Meatloaf. I just, I, I like the guy's style. I like Cracker Barrel's version. It's actually pretty good. You put some, put some more gravy, gravy? on it and everything. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I like with rice and gravy. Yeah. Very good, very good. I did step right into that. This is the third single from the album Bad Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell. Now, Bad Out of Hell came out in 76? Yeah, and you covered it. Yeah, I did. And I figured I'd never be able to cover Bad Out of Hell too, so I'm just picking off the good songs from it. That was one of our longest episodes, as a matter of fact. Probably so. Although we only had three songs. Exactly. You could only put three songs on it. <laughs> that was a fun one. So this is, uh, like I said, it's the third single, but it's an older song. Um, it's written by Jim Steinman who wrote most of the, a lot of the stuff that you hear from, from Meatloaf is Jim Steinman's uh, songwriting. He did Bad Out of Hell, he did Bad Out of Hell too, um, but he released it on his album Bad for Good in 1981. And both the Steinman version and the Meatloaf version were top 40 hits. So Back in the 80s? No, actually, well, the, the Steinman version was a hit it went to 30, number 32 in 1981, and Meatloaf went to uh, number 13 uh, off of this one. So it was a bit of a 93-94 time frame. In fact, it's probably at its height in February 94. Um, it's a rock anthem about how rock and roll 
gets you through the bad times. So, in fact, the Steinman version, the Bad for Good album, that entire album was intended to be a follow-up to Meat Loaf's Bad Out of Hell. But there was a big falling out between Meat Loaf and Jim Steinman at the time. And so that song and several others that were on Bad for Good appear now on Bad Out of Hell too. When this song started at the beginning, I wouldn't have guessed it was Meatloaf. It it had a different sound to it. I, yeah, I should have. I can't think of it now, but it was. It made me reminded me of another band. I was thinking that's who it was. Yeah, uh, but well, the the thing the thing I like about and Steinman's music has always appealed to me because of his. I don't know his lyrics. The fact that he puts a saxophone in there. You gotta like that. You, never, you can never go wrong there. <laughs> but he wrote a lot of stuff that. I didn't realize. So, uh, you remember the song by Bonnie Tyler, Total Eclipse of the Heart? Yes. That's Jim Steinman. He did that. The other one I got a kick out of, he did Air Supplies Making Love Out of Nothing at All. <laughs> he, led a, he led a really exciting life, it sounds like. I'm going to say Air Supplies is sort of a guilty pleasure of mine. Believe it or not, when I really want to mellow, I roll up those windows and I'll crank up some Air Supplies. Let's let's make an exception and cover an air supply album, and you bring it, Wayne. No, thank you. <laughs> Maybe we can do it duplicate a month that we've already done. <laughs> It'll be the guilty pleasure episode yeah. of What the Riff. We should each have one of those. That would be fun. Well, air supply is going to have to make it as a staff pick. Somebody's going to pick it. I already picked the ABBA as a staff pick. <laughs> I did Dolly Parton. <laughs> That's right. You did. Sure did. There's an age difference there, isn't there? Well, she's <laughs> the the thing that the thing I like about Steinman's lyrics is it's just there's certain little hooks about it. Like in this song, the first lyrics are, "You can't run away forever, but there's nothing wrong with getting a good head start." You know, <laughs> I just I don't know. I just like that. They've got a he's got a choir of voices in the background that sounds kind of interesting. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, this is very well produced. By this time, you know, Meatloaf is a known quantity. You know, they knew that they could, when they have Meatloaf and Steinman together, he's going to produce something great. Lots of people would work with him. He'd been out on uh, the Midnight Movie, Rocky Horror Picture Show. (laughs) Yes, he was Eddie. Yep. That's right. The other line, you've been through the fires of hell, and I know you've got the ashes to prove it. (laughs) That's great. Well, when you covered him last time, you talked about how he was an actor. He, he was into, yeah. you know, doing a whole lot on stage. He wasn't just standing there singing. Right, right. That's the thing. He's. It, it reminds me of, I don't know, like Alice Cooper, yes. where it's not just the music. It's the 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 drama, the you know, all of the, the, the things that he does around that. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a lot of passion in his voice. In fact... That's one of the problems that they ran into after Bad Out of Hell is, you know, he kind of messed up his voice because he was on stage and doing these things all yep. the time. Very stressful. Yeah, yeah. I have a better appreciation for him now. Yeah. I just think of him as a big sweaty guy before. <laughs> he still is. No, he's not. He's not big anymore. He's, he's he slimmed down yeah. a bit. Yeah. He, does, he doesn't look, he, no, he doesn't look real healthy. I saw some pictures, recent pictures. 
All right, well, now we're moving on to our next staff pick, and Brian has it. Yeah, you guys remember the MTV Unplugged series? We're going to stick, but we're going to do a cover with Rod Stewart. Ah. Remember that song there from the 60s? We go. It's interesting because you had Rod Stewart, of course, singing, as we can hear. But guess who's playing guitar in this session? One of his old bandmates. He does the name. Jeff Beck? Uh-huh. Ronnie Wood. Oh, okay. Oh. Ronnie Wood's playing guitar back there for him. But this is a cover from Sam Cooke's big hit mm. back in the 60s. We're having say, a party. This sounds like a 60s groove. Yeah, do you remember the twist in the night away? Yes. That was his first big hit from Sam Cooke that they played. This is the follow-up to it. Hmm. So, I mean, Sam Cooke, you guys know how much I, I, I love Steve Perry. Mm-hmm. But Sam Cooke's voice, I'm going to pay tribute to Sam Cooke at this point because we know Rod Stewart's a legend, and Rod Stewart does a great job. But i got to pay tribute to my man Sam Cooke. I mean, what a golden voice he had. And this is really what it's all about is just having a good time. You know. Dancing, he, well, drinking. But, you know, Sam Cooke. Yeah, Sam Cooke wrote his own music, wrote his own songs, and just brought the life into him. This sounds like Twisting the Night Away. Like, I would have thought that's what this song was. Yeah, same, probably. same medley. Yeah. Same thing. Um, but well, Everything was twist in the early 60s. That was sure, a big theme. Sure. And it was so, all fun, wasn't it? Yeah. It was oh, just yeah. fun. And same thing with this song. Do the Friends twist. getting together, having dinner, or just and, and dancing. Just having fun. Well, later on in his career, uh, Sam Cooke would get together with the huge people like Herb Alpert, Lou Adler. And then they would just write the songs together and, 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 and collaborate. But they were just so impressed by Cook's ability to bring songs to life yeah. and to give the audience what they wanted. And they just said it was just so inspiring. And what a tragedy it was that we lost him. Way, gone way too soon. Was he 27? I don't think he was. He, <laughs> he wasn't 27, but he, I don't remember what, you know exactly how old he was. But it was a, I remember it was a big loss because of what he brought to the table, which was you know, none of this depressing or none of this angry songs, just full of love, smooth voice, you know, just you know, golden voice. I, you know. Well, and and you know this Rod Stewart has kind of turned to that more crooner style in his uh, his his later ages. Yeah. And he's out touring. Rod yep. Stewart's still out there doing it. It's just a fun, great song. But this song was also covered by bands like The Ovations, uh, The Pointer Sisters. We know who they are. The Supremes also covered this song. And, of course, Rod Stewart in this unplugged release. Was this actually recorded at MTV, or is it uh, just an, another unplugged? It's, un- it's an unplugged series with okay. Rod Stewart. And you because can get this, this one on the is, album. This one is pretty highly produced. Oh, yeah. They went through a phase where you know, it became very popular, and they did have a lot more produced, unplugged pieces. Right. This song was actually released again after 94, after this performance, and it actually went into the top, it went to the number 36 on the top 100. Hmm. The top hits of February 1994, The Power of Love by C. Lance. 
the sign, ace of base. Tony Braxton had breathe again. Salt and pepper, what a man. And Mariah Curry with hero. Mariah Curry. That's Mariah. Mariah. It's a pariah. I didn't listen to any of those songs. They Don't talk about Mariah that way. She's a diva. All right, and that applause must be uh, on account of Wayne's next uh, staff pick here. That's Getting right, ready guys. For it. I give you again that Manchester sound. This song came out a little later than I, when I was in Manchester at the Hacienda in 1991. The song is Laid by James. It was suggested to me by a really good friend of mine. She was listening to the podcast and how she enjoyed it, and I mentioned we're going to be doing this year. She goes, oh, you got to do James Lay. And I go, oh, okay, great. So I'm going to earn some bonus points with this one. Oh, I remember this yeah. one. Yeah. I didn't know this was the name of the song. The big thing here is <laughs> <laughs> she only comes when she's on top. The American video did not have that. It says she only sings when she's on top instead of comes. I think we're going to have to put an E next to this one. I might just have to. I don't know. This song is about a relationship with a woman who's very crazy or nuts. The relationship has just ruined this guy's mind. Um, she's, the woman stalks him, you know, but the sex is so good, he just gives in and they have us hot and sexy relationship and but nothing else is in that relationship you know and they argue and they fight and it's just a you know very unhealthy relationship so i'm gonna ask this guys have you guys been in a relationship like that no never no <laughs> i have i've actually uh was involved with a relationship back kind of around this time maybe and um yeah, the woman just showed up at my door Around one this time? Like right now? I'm, t- I'm talking about February 94, <laughs> somewhere around that time. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, she, um, yeah, we, we dated, I thought we were about we, to get we some dated a bit, but here. that was kind of all we did. And then one day she just showed up at my door and go, hey, I was in the neighborhood. And I go, you live like 30 miles away. How in the hell are you in the neighborhood? And she just, you know, just kind of showed up. So, but yeah, it's, um, it was, it was, it was. I knew I had to end it then, so I did. <laughs> so, but yes, my therapist said it's not to see you anymore. She said you're like a disease without any cure. Oh. She said I'm so obsessed that I'm becoming a bore. Oh no. And um, it's just, it just really just has the singer Tim Booth. He's got a handcuff on just you know one arm, and it's, he's singing to this and just going, I can't believe I'm doing this. And it only peaked to 61, but it was a top hit for me. I mean, I listened to that alternate songs. But now we're going to move on to, I guess, we'll instrumental, instrumental track. What you got? Well, we were looking and trying to figure out what to what to pick here. And uh, I found this Beastie Boys album, and it's called Ill Communication. It has a lot of uh, songs on it, and there's probably five different instrumentals on here and the name of this one is sabrosa but i really kind of like the uh, groove that they got in here yeah i was kind of shocked they had instrumentals i th- always thought they didn't play their instruments from yeah. what i understood i thought they were just kind of 
the old DJ thing and, you know, oh, yeah. skimming songs off of other albums. Right, sampling and all that kind of stuff. But I like the way this one sounds. They've been around, actually, at this point, they've been around for a while because they started in 1981. Yeah, 85 oh, wow. is with Fight for Your Right to Party, I think, came out. Yeah, yeah. 85 or 87. It might have been 87. Kind of has the uh, Isaac Hayes little flair with it. Yeah, with a little the shaft. Shaft. Yeah, you're right. This time we take uh, note of what happened in music of February 1984. Blind Melon's lead singer Shannon Hoon. We've talked about Blind Melon before. He was forced to leave the American Music Awards ceremony because of his loud, disruptive behavior. He'd later be charged for battery and destroying a police station phone and everything else. Wow. That guy was out of control. Remember, he died at the age of 28. Mm. So uh, just too much drugs. Now, the three surviving members of the Beatles reunited, reunited secretly, and they began to record uh, music from some John Lennon's old Finnish demos and stuff. And they actually had a hit. Free as a bird that right. came off, off of that that was later on in 1995. And Jeff Lynn produced that. If you this, this sounds like Green Eyed Lady. The, Interesting. That, that bass line. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Now, albums that came out in uh, February of 1994 Sublime, Marilyn. We covered Marilyn, didn't we? Uh, uh, one of their songs, uh, Cake. That was their debut. Oh, yeah. Mm. I almost did one of their songs mm-hmm. out there. I like Cake. We talked about Beastie Boys. Ben Harper had a debut album. Willie Nelson. The Afghan Wigs and Beck. I think that's when, wasn't it Loser on that album maybe? Or was the album before that? It might have been the album before that. Well, you've been listening to February of 1994. We're What the Riff. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce. We'll see you guys next time. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to What the Riff? We hope you enjoyed the songs we had on tap today. Please tell your friends about us. Check us out at whattheriff.com and follow us on Facebook. Special thanks to our sponsors, Wright Column Financial, Stanton Electric, and Marbury Creative Group. That's all for this week. See you next week on What the Riff?